Hey everybody, this is Rafe Telsch and this is episode 48 of Have Not Seen This, a weekly in-depth look at a much-beloved movie selected specifically by our guest that they're a little surprised when they find out people have not seen. I hope everyone is having a good week out there. This is coming out on the last day of September. So Halloween is right around the corner and hopefully we'll be getting into some spooky movies soon in celebration of Halloween. But for now, we are still in the 80s. This has been a long run of 80s movies, as I talked about last week. But this one uh, is definitely one that shouldn't be missed. If you're not familiar with the movie, you should fix that. And if you are, hopefully you will enjoy the conversation we have this week. The guest this week is Jody Krangle. She is a voiceover artist, uh, and she comes to us from the Audio Branding Podcast. She has a wonderful voice, and I really enjoyed our conversation, not just because we laugh a lot and we talk about a great movie, but also because I just love her voice. She's not the first vocal artist I've had on the podcast. She won't be the last one, but I really enjoyed just getting to listen to her voice as we talked. And she picked the 1984 sci-fi classic, The Last Starfighter. Um, and she asks some really interesting questions over the course of this conversation, like how inspirational was The Last Starfighter on other movies? A question I had never really considered before, but definitely one worth thinking about, especially as she kind of plants some evidence here or there for things that may have borrowed or been inspired by The Last Starfighter. So here we go with our conversation about 1984's The Last Starfighter with guest Jody Krangle. So the last voice artist I had on, it kind of made sense just in the the, the natural flow of conversation to address it because we picked an animated film to talk about. And, and this isn't an animated film, but I do want to give you a chance to kind of talk about voice artistry. So <laughs> sure. talk, talk a little bit about that. Can you kick us off with that, with uh, how, how you got involved or, or what you like about it or anything? Uh, well, I got started in 2007, and um, really, I just had a love of everything vocal anyway. I've been a singer all my life, and that's kind of where I was raised. I mean, my, my parents always spent a lot of time with us uh, with sing-along. That was our bedtime, not story time. It was sing-along time. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, my dad played guitar and my mom sang, and, and that's actually how they met. My, my grandparents introduced them because they were both musical, so... <laughs> You know, I come by it honestly. <laughs> That's hilarious. So I, I have to ask, what kind of songs were bedtime sing-alongs? Because like I would sing to my son when he was really tiny mm -hmm. and it was a lot of Disney fare and, um, you know, I mean, just music that I knew that I loved that, you know, mostly just go the hell to sleep type music. But, you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, my parents were actually pretty serious about this kind of stuff. Um, my mom was always really a fan of the court jester. And there is a beautiful lullaby in that yes. that that she loved to sing to us. Uh, my parents would sing a Bruce Coburn song called All the Diamonds. And okay. they would do harmony together. And it was beautiful. And like we would sing with them and there were like you know muppet movies what was the the frog prince i think it was the muppet movie and like we loved those songs <laughs> gotcha gotcha yeah so that kind of thing that's awesome that's that was, I, that, you know that was our, unique uh, let it go of the day right <laughs> right 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 <laughs> so um what have you enjoyed about doing vocal work so far well, I, I just really love the 
the idea that I can, with my voice, help someone get better business. I mean, it's just such a cool concept. The idea right. that I could actually have a, an like a, a real difference to someone's bottom line. That's crazy to me. I love it, <laughs> but it's crazy. Um, I am not a voice actor that does animation, video games, or audiobooks. So right. Uh, that's not my thing. I'm more of the commercial and corporate narration kind of deal. And I do some intros and outros for podcasts and really enjoy that as well. But for the most part, I basically spend my life making other people money. <laughs> now, maybe because you're not a, a an animation video game type voice artist, maybe maybe this the answer to this is no. But do you find that you know, being so focused on your voice and, and using it as a tool, do you find that that attracts you to different kinds of movies more? Or do you find that that's something that affects how you watch movies? Or is it just n not even an issue? Well, I think I'm a fan, first and foremost. So I love animation and watch it regularly. And I love science fiction fantasy and watch all sorts of things in that genre. And uh, and I just enjoy it. And there are a lot of movies that I just I'm drawn to just because I think they'll be a good time. And and actually, this is one of them. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, before we jump into the movie, you know, the podcast is have not seen this. It's mm -hmm. about we talk about movies that the guest is a little surprised when people haven't seen. What are your have not seen this movies? What are movies you haven't seen mm -hmm. that people are surprised when they find that out? I haven't seen The Joker. I had the the new the, the new the one. one just yeah I have not seen that yet either uh, yeah. I just can't seem to get myself interested in, yeah, in watching I, it it's so not my thing I I don't know I mean a lot of people really enjoy watching things that are just these downward spirals into hopelessness and I just I can't get excited about that <laughs> yeah no I totally dig that I, yeah. I can understand that I, I need my movies with hope <laughs> Yeah, I, and I get that, and I, like, and I like. I mean, I, I, I certainly like dark movies and yeah. dark stories. I but mean, at like, the end, something happens that at least gives you some hope for humanity. You know what I yeah. mean? Like, <laughs> especially I, this year. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I just didn't get the impression Joker was going to be one of those. And <laughs> I, I think my bigger issue with Joker is knowing that it is such a. I don't want to use the word ripoff, but it borrows heavily from other movies that have come before that are mm -hmm. barely acknowledged there. And that I find that a lot of people who loved Joker aren't even really aware of like King of Comedy. Yes. Um, yeah. and, and, and I am. So that mm -hmm. kind of makes it a challenge. Yeah. Well, I guess when you study these kinds of things, it can be annoying. <laughs> yeah. I, I've, you know what? Those are movies that I know of, but I haven't actually seen for mostly the same reason I didn't see Joker. <laughs> right. So, you know, I, I, I consider myself to be, um, like I, I will analyze these things. I mean, I wouldn't be here otherwise. <laughs> <laughs> But at the same time, I'm not necessarily discounting the fact that a movie can just be a good time. It can be just fun. Yeah. <laughs> and there's nothing wrong with that. You know, and, everything. And I, 
Yeah, everything doesn't have to be a film. <laughs> right. And I and I almost think that's expressed by the movie that you've picked for us to talk about this week. Exactly. Not that there's not some stuff to dig into, but this is escapist sci-fi, oh, totally uh, especially is. from the 80s at its best. So let's yes. kind of dive into it. We are talking this week, of course, about 1984's The Last Starfighter, written by Jonathan Bateau, directed by Nick Castle, starring Lance Guest, Robert Preston, Catherine Mary Stewart, and Dan O'Herlihy. Come on, Alex! They're here! Alex Rogan had a dream. You really are leaving here, aren't you? To be as far away from here as possible. You get your chance. When it comes, you gotta grab it with both hands. It started with a game. You gonna bust the record! But it wasn't just any game. You have been recruited by the Star League to defend the frontier against Sur and the Kodan Armada. And then, one night... Centauri's the name. We have to talk about a matter of utmost importance. Step into my office. I've seen him come and I've seen him go, but you're the best, my boy. Light years ahead of the competition. Alex didn't find his dream. ever imagined traveling beyond the stars. Maybe there is a starfighter left. I love you, Alex Rogan. Comes the unforgettable story of one who made it. <laughs> the Last Starfighter. And Robert Preston was really the reason I watched this movie in the first place. But Yeah, yeah I mean... I I love I was telling my, my girlfriend when we were watching this like I don't mind the Matthew Broderick remake of Music Man but Robert mm-hmm. Preston is the Music Man to me oh, totally. he is that character yes there was a scene in here where I was convinced he could he was gonna like break into the trouble song like oh yeah <laughs> seriously there was like a moment where I was like he's gonna sing <laughs> like it just looked like it should happen <laughs> And, and we'll get into reviews in a, a little while, but almost all the reviews I read brought up, they felt like he was just playing that same character in space. <laughs> yes. And my thought was, that's not a bad thing. <laughs> I don't think so either. No, I thought it was perfectly apropos. <laughs> yeah. So how do you describe this movie to someone who has not seen it? How do you sell them on wanting to see uh, The Last Starfighter? Oh, my goodness. One of the first things that I would say is it's actually a precursor to um, Back to the Future. There are a lot of points here, especially the car, for instance, that, <laughs> you know, that Back to the Future kind of lifted. And I don't know if that they really acknowledged that they lifted. <laughs> That's an interesting... I, I, I mean, I know the car design was based on a DeLorean, which, of course, yes. is what the time machine is in Back yeah. to the Future. But I hadn't thought of that. Yeah. That there are some similar 
uh, features in those two movies. It, it had a lot of similarities. And um, it was interesting to me because I didn't realize that um, Back to the Future had came out later. <laughs> I was watching this and I was going, yeah, OK, I get that. I get that. And, and then I realized that Back to the Future came out in 85. And I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, it just seemed like it. I, I don't it didn't like directly plagiarize it or anything. I'm not saying that, you know, Back to the Future isn't original, just that there were some parts of it that it seemed to me like Back to the Future was sort of, you know, taking that and extrapolating it a bit more and then making it its own. Right. Right. So why do you think and I didn't look at the box office for this film because I don't really care about how much money they <laughs> yeah, make. Yeah, so I don't, I don't tend to look at that. But why do you think Back to the Future has been such a success through the generations? And The Last Starfighter is kind of off in the wings, not to make a bad pun there. But, um, you know, people are aware of it, but it hasn't permeated culture the same way that something like Back to the Future has. Yeah, I think one of the big reasons for that with The Last Starfighter is that it is kind of dated as far as the um, special effects are concerned. Oh, yes. Yeah, I mean, that it was really good at the time, you know, but it's kind of like Tron, right? Like if you watch the first Tron, you're like, Oh, my God. <laughs> like, it's a good movie, and you can enjoy it on the fact that it's a good movie. But if you look at that that special effects budget, which would have been huge at the time, it just doesn't hold up. And so when you watch The Last Starfighter and you look at these special effects, you realize that, yes, in the day, this was awesome. But now? <laughs> and I think what happened with um, Back to the Future was that they didn't rely so heavily on the CGI backgrounds and the they didn't have like a big, um, you know, starfighter uh, uh, war in space, you know, like there True. wasn't there wasn't a big space battle. Right. So you didn't have to you didn't have to manufacture a whole lot and make it out of CGI. So I think a lot of it holds up better because what they did was they went back in time. Right. Right. So. It didn't matter really what the current time was. I mean, it sort of did, but so you can sort of relate to it a little more almost. And I would almost say that the second movie kind of supports that. I mean, not that we're talking about Back to the Future, but Mm -hmm. that was always, I kind of always had an issue with the future as it was presented in Back to the Future 2 because it felt too stylized, sci-fi, unrealistic type thing. And, And that kind of steps away from the rest of the Back to the Future movies. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, that was because of the special effects they were trying to use, right? But did you know, tie into The Last Starfighter, that that car makes a cameo appearance in Back to the Future 2? Really? No, I missed that. Yes, it does. It's parked on the street, I think, and one of the, you see like a, a, you know, a big pan of the street in... Uh, in the second movie and it's in it's parked (laughs) it's like parallel parked against the street there (laughs) well as if i didn't already have enough of an excuse to watch back to the future 2 again (laughs) now i'm going to have to look for that but let's talk about the last starfighter so so what is your (laughs) what is your history with this movie uh, I just really liked it. Um, I was a big video game person when they first came out. I had a computer. My first computer I got in 86. 
And um, I just kind of loved the idea of video games. I would go out to the local Kmart, actually, and they had a, um, like a, I, I don't know what you'd call it, like an entry area into, like, before you actually went into the Kmart, and they had a bunch of video games out there. And right. my friends and I would play that on a regular basis. So when this movie came out, I was like, wow, cool, you know. And it, <laughs> it, it didn't matter to me that he was a guy. Like it, I, I wasn't. It wasn't registering to me that I'm I'm a girl and he's a guy, and because of that, I can't do what he was doing. That never occurred to me at all. I was just, this is cool, and I wish I was him. <laughs> like that's it. You know, like it, there was no deeper meaning. It was just. <laughs> well, and that's that's interesting because there really isn't a, a, a force on gender in this movie. You know, mm-hmm. it's not it's it's not that he's the last starfighter because he's a guy. It's no, it has nothing to do with he that. Beat, he beat the game and that yeah. very easily could have been a, Anyone. A, a girl, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And actually, it was really interesting because I was watching the uh, the background characters and it was actually a pretty diverse cast. So at the time, that was, you know, that's that's pretty good. Good on them. Yeah. So for those who don't know the movie, first of all, shame on you, because this is a <laughs> classic. But the concept is we, we meet this kid in a trailer park uh, who ends up beating this video game there. And that is revealed to have been a test. Uh, and he becomes a starfighter to go. Uh, face the evil Zer and the Kodan em- Armada or Kodan Empire. Yeah. And and that's the plot, but it's very hero's journey. You know, you were talking about the whole analysis thing. And I was mm-hmm. watching it this time thinking how painfully hero's journey it is. And there's a yes. moment early in the film where he he can't go he to the even to the to the lake with his friends. Mm-hmm. Uh, which the way he says that line, his mom wants him to help and he says, you know, I was going to Silver Lake and I just was waiting for him to say to get some power converters at Toshi Station. <laughs> uh, but when he goes back to his room and he's kind of sitting there just wallowing in this misery of his existence, I almost waited for him to break out into some Disney princess song about what he wants in life. <laughs> yeah, it almost seemed like that should have happened. Yes, definitely. Yeah. I there's there's so much there's a lot to unpack there. It's kind of like it's almost whiny, but at the same time he has good reason to whine. You know, he's yeah. a kid. He's a kid and he's stuck there doing repairs on something he's been doing repairs on for probably all his life. <laughs> right. And he knows exactly how long it's going to take and no one else can do it and, you know, and 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 it's not even really that he's in the trailer park. Like, it just, like, that the, never, you know, yes, it's that's a trailer a good point. park. But, you know, it, it doesn't even really matter where he is. It's, in fact, being in the trailer park actually makes him more connected to his neighbors than many of us ever have been. <laughs> yeah, because it is, even in the, the, the brief glimpses we get of it, especially at the beginning, it is mm-hmm. very quickly established to be this self-contained community. You know, the woman's yeah. power goes out and she's not upset about her power going out as much as it is she's going to miss her shows. She's going to yeah. miss her soap operas. Yeah. And the way that that gets communicated is by word of mouth just down the street. Yeah. You know, that her power went out. Oh, her power went out again. Alex, go fix her power. You know, it's all word of mouth. Yes. Uh, game of telephone type thing. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And they all know exactly how she's going to get if she misses her soaps, too. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
It was, uh, but it was fun to watch. Like it was just, you know, that's a nice little community. No one's complaining because they're in a trailer park. They're just there, you know, and that's their life. <laughs> yeah, and you're you're right. He's not even complaining because he's in a trailer park. No. He's just complaining because he wants something more or something else. Yeah. Which, as I said, very Disney princess, you know? Yes, exactly. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. But it wasn't a commentary on them being poor, necessarily. Like, it was just, that's where they were. Which is interesting, because that would have been a very low fruit to pick. That would have been very easy to target, you know, the the poverty side. And it it, totally would have Yeah, yeah. And I I admired them for that. I thought it was pretty uplifting, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Not that, I, you know, not having money is, you know, not a big thing. You know, like there are world problems, of course. But at the same time, this movie was meant to be fun. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And I, and I, well, and let's, let's look at that. So on the critical side, um, I always try to bring in a positive and a negative review. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it just maybe to give us some ideas to talk about, maybe not. Uh, it sits at <laughs> 74% at Rotten Tomatoes, which That's frankly is good. one of the, one of the better reviewed 80s action genre movies that I've brought into the show lately. Yeah. Um, and in fact, its audience score is 69. So mm-hmm. it, it actually was better received by the critics than it has been by the audience. Mm-hmm. Uh, 67% at Metacritic. Our negative review comes from Roger Ebert. Of course it does. <laughs> he did not seem to like 80s genre films. So uh, yeah, no. he says... The Last Starfighter is not a terrifically original movie. The video game concept seems inspired by Walt Disney's Tron, and the battles in space are such close copies of the Star Wars movies that George Lucas might have a lawsuit. For example, when Grieg gives the kids lessons on how to fire from the cockpit of the rocket, the cockpit's swivel chair looks directly inspired by the original Star Wars. If the movie isn't original in its special effects, it tries to make up for that in the trailer camp scenes. A large gallery of eccentric supporting characters is trotted on screen, all with a few colorful lines to say, and then there's the subplot about the love affair between the kid's girlfriend and the robot who has replaced the kid. Every time the girl tries to lick his ear, he gets a short circuit. Yeah. And and some of those things we've already talked about, you know, the trailer park stuff definitely stands out. Yes. Um, but I, I I don't know that I agree with him on the Star Wars. I mean, yes, the the space scenes are they're set in space. Yeah. Uh but it's a totally different ship. Like I don't know what he was saying there, because it's a completely different ship. And exactly. they're you know, there's two people in this ship. It's not the Millennium Falcon. It's not a TIE fighter. It's not a, you know, it's not a one-person ship. It's a two-person ship. It's not a five-person ship. I don't know <laughs> what he's talking about. <laughs> the, the, I, I love Ebert. I mean, I, I, yeah. I grew up I grew up yes. with Ebert. Yes, and, and so did I. I. Yes. There are so many times I read some of his old reviews and go, dude, what movie were you watching? <laughs> yes. And, this, this is, is one of them. <laughs> yeah. All right. On the positive side, we have a review from Keith Phipps of the AV Club, mm-hmm. who says, to paraphrase the Big Lebowski, some movies are just the right movie for their time and place. They just fit right in there. Witness The Last Starfighter, a sweet, unabashedly corny, matinee-friendly science fiction adventure starring Lance Guest as a trailer park video game prodigy and Robert Preston as the alien who recruits him to save the day from some space baddies, co-starring a bunch of visual ideas on loan from George Lucas and Steven Spielberg. Seen via the 25th anniversary edition, The Last Starfighter now seems as much a product of its era as a Where the, Where's the Beef t-shirt, though it holds up a little better. 
Directed by John Carpenter protege Nick Castle, who played Mike Myers in the first Halloween, it's ambitiously unambitious, but that doesn't make it any less charming, as it alternates generic we-gotta-get-out-of-this-place teen angst with lasers and rubber-suited extraterrestrials. In his final film role, Preston is especially winning, offering a transgalactic variation on his music man character. Last guest's hero is kind of a petulant douche, however. <laughs> you know, I kind of have to agree with him on that last spot. <laughs> and that's exactly what I was going to ask you is, how do you feel about that? Because I like, I like Alex. You know what? He's not a perfect character, and I think that is totally acceptable. You know, like, perfect characters are not interesting to watch. So... I, I agree that he's a bit like what that description claimed he was. But at the same time, <laughs> um, his journey is a journey of all of us, right? Like, what would you do if suddenly you found yourself in space when all you were doing is playing a freaking video game? <laughs> right. Well, and it's it's kind of that Luke Skywalker even a Harry Potter-esque thing where you yes. suddenly are the chosen one, yes. whether it's because there's some mystical element to it like Luke Skywalker or Harry Potter or because you showed that you had skills. And I don't think, uh, uh, you know, having grown up in the 80s and, and 90s, I, I don't think there's a kid who saw this movie who didn't wish that that would happen from their video game skills. Oh, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I just saw a high score on Netflix and, and oh, that whole thing just like it reminded me of this all over again, which is why I had to talk about this movie. <laughs> yeah. High score, uh, for those who haven't seen it yet on Netflix, is a is it six episodes? I think it's only six episodes. Yeah, it's not very uh, long. But documentary series about the the history of video games in that era like the mm -hmm. the 70s and 80s and even into the 90s it doesn't get much further than that but it is a brilliantly assembled documentary yeah and they they did a really really good job with it and it was so nostalgic for me oh my god <laughs> oh yeah because how many games did they show that i played totally yeah it was it was really, really fun to watch. And it was fun to see how they all originated, right? Like, because this was all thought, it was dreamed up in someone's brain without having any precursor, right? Like, right. there was nothing to lead to that, really, except for what, like they mentioned, role-playing games, which I actually play, by the way. <laughs> oh, yeah? <laughs> yes. So it was kind of cool to see D&D &D mentioned. That was awesome. Um, but, but yeah, that kind of... Um, storytelling in a choose-your-own-adventure kind of way was the precursor for a lot of those video games. And it was wonderful to see that. But really, like, the programming of it and how you had to think in order to get things to happen on the computer screen or on the console or whatever was all completely new. Yeah. So just yeah. wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, it's, it's, yeah. I, I, and I loved, uh, I, I, I loved the documentary. And then when you brought this movie up, that was actually the first thing I thought of was I had just watched that, that series yeah. as well. <laughs> so, so yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it, it's a nice connection. And if you loved, again, if you haven't seen this movie and you love video games, what the heck are you waiting for? Yeah. So we, we talked a little bit about Robert Preston, um, but he is very music man character type yes, here he totally um, is and, and i mean he's it, it's funny i have probably not watched this movie in a good 15 20 years mm -hmm. uh but the first thing i thought of when you brought it up was greetings starfighter yes 
you know, yeah. that Robert Preston opening line that's on the video game, but also that he says in the movie as well. Totally. And guess what? That's audio branding. <laughs> <laughs> you did find a way to bring it back. Good I for did. you. <laughs> But I just, I mean, it's just, it's so iconic for the film and for Robert Preston as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah. He did a great job. And I loved the way that his alien looked and the way they, they had the effect of him, like, rubbing his face with a cloth. Right. <laughs> he just wipes it on and off, I guess. Yeah, yeah. But he was, like, cleaning his eyes. <laughs> but I had never noticed before what a uh, a bit of a, a scoundrel his character is, that yeah. he's, he's set up the video game to find pilots for this fight, but he's in it for the money. He gets he paid totally for is. bringing in the fighter. Yes, yes. And we know this isn't the first time he's done it because they mentioned Excalibur. Right. Think of that. Yes. <laughs> That's a different kind of test. Yeah. <laughs> but, but yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and that's and that goes a ways back. I mean, that makes you wonder just how how long he's been at this. Well, yeah, and in the end of the movie, you understand why. <laughs> right, right. His line about um, the body being dormant while it repairs yes. itself, or something yeah. like that. Yeah, yeah. He's he's but he's not the only veteran actor in this movie. We also have O'Hurley playing Grieg, the the alien, and he's hidden behind that makeup yes so you don't really he's not going to be one of those people you recognize unless you recognize his voice yeah that's true i thought he did a great job but also that makeup really reminded me do you remember enemy mine i do yes yeah. in fact i have to admit uh that i kind of mixed parts of those two movies up <laughs> yes like i thought it do. was lou gossett jr in this movie because yeah. that's who it is in enemy mind <laughs> yeah yeah that was a another that was a really good movie and i should have thought of that one too but yeah <laughs> there we go we can go down the rabbit hole here <laughs> <laughs> but i love his performance because he has this you know, reptilian appearance. And it, mm -hmm. again, it would have been, there could have been some low-hanging fruit, very easy direction to take the character. And instead, he is this jovial, supportive yes. character yeah. who, like, it would have been very easy to hate this human because they don't have humans in, in this battle. Yes, although Alex does call him a gung-ho iguana at one point, and that made me <laughs> laugh out loud. <laughs> it does. Um... <laughs> Yeah, and I just I love that character, especially how his his laugh and mm -hmm. his, the 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 comedy, without being the butt of the joke, the comedy that he brings into the movie. Yes, and amazingly, his face is pretty expressive considering all of the makeup on him. He he really managed to make you understand what he was feeling. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, he, he quite, now I was reading there is a story about the two actors, the two veteran actors meeting. And that uh, they had never met before. Oh, yeah. And when uh, they they met, Hurley, he introduces himself and Robert Preston says, oh, yes, I know who you are. You've got one of those faces. <laughs> but Hurley, he was already he in his makeup. Yeah, he was already in his makeup. <laughs> yes, he was already in his makeup. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. Yeah. Yeah, that's some, that sounds like something Robert Preston would say. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then if you want to talk about the comedy that is more more kind of the butt of the joke or or a little more overt mm -hmm. than we have Lewis, the little brother. Yes. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, I'm. Uh, uh, that was <laughs> that was the low hanging fruit. Yeah, I, I think so. Uh, it's a little weird. I think he's almost a little too young for some of the stuff that they do. Like he, yes. he, he, he has the you know diarrhea at some point. And yeah, he's looking at Playboy magazines at some point, and I'm like, he's a little young for that. I think. yeah. What but, was he like nine? I don't know how right. much how old he would have been. Yeah, it's, that's just. I don't know if nine-year-olds who would be into that kind of thing. The diarrhea no. comment, totally. I totally got that. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, language for a nine-year-old is is pretty attractive. <laughs> yes. Yes, it is. <laughs> but I do. I think Lewis gets some of the best lines, and and also I love him him waking up to see Alex. And, and Alex, because Alex has been, when he's supposed to go off to space for this mission, he's been replaced by a beta unit, yeah. which looks identical to him. But Alex ends up coming back, and so the two of them are having a conversation, and Lewis wakes up to see Alex having a conversation with himself. And I mm-hmm. love how they both yell at him, you know, go back to bed, Alex, or I'll tell mom about your playboys. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then they both say it at the same time again when they, when they tell him to go back to sleep. Oh, and when he catches him with his head off. <laughs> That's my favorite. You're just having a really bad dream. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then, like, the hand goes to the bridge of his nose. <laughs> yes. That was, shaking, his, uh, shaking his head no, no. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was just really funny. They, I mean, there's some great gags there with the beta unit which it's mm-hmm. which I, I find interesting that that critic says alex is a you know a petulant douche and yet he gets to play two different characters here because he gets to play alex who you know has his head in the clouds and wants to go off but then is conflicted when he gets the opportunity to go off mm-hmm. and then beta who is going to see the world kind of fresh and new because he's you know he's he's a blank slate mm-hmm. yeah yeah but he knows what his purpose is so again that's almost a contrast he does and he doesn't. I mean, when the the line is said about uh, you go off and fight in the war and Beta is here to uh, distract the assassins. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but you they know, didn't. Know. Well, I don't know how he'll get shot knew. at and Beta goes, what? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. He wasn't quite aware. But uh, I don't know that he necessarily I don't know that anyone necessarily assumed that the bounty hunters or whatever you know the assassins would automatically find out where alex was from like i that i don't know that that was assumed i don't know that the idea that he was supposed to be a decoy was assumed i think it was just that he was supposed to replace alex so that his his family didn't clue in Right, and and the the introduction of those uh, assassins, mm-hmm. um, the Zandazans, mm-hmm. <laughs> which the names that they came up with for this movie, yeah. Zer and the Kodal and Zandazans. Yes, yeah. Um, that's almost a a plot hole for me. Like the the, mm-hmm. the bad guys in this movie are almost kind of this inconsistent plot hole because the whole concept is that the last starfighter is needed to fight against Zur and the evil Kodan Empire. But mm-hmm. we, when we get time with them, we see they don't like Zur. Zur's kind of a baby. Yes. Yeah. And then why would they send... I don't understand why they would send assassins to take out this starfighter. I mean, I guess the hope of not having an armada against them anymore, but they pretty much wiped it out. I mean, you would think with their overconfidence, one person wouldn't make a difference. Well, also, it sounds like 
the Xanderzan didn't know that he wasn't actually there, or I don't know if he even, like, cared (laughs) (laughs) until until he heard, you know, the the beta talking about it. And and then he tried to send a message, right? right? And, And I don't know that... It didn't seem to me like the commander really cared all that much. No, like, I mean he was he was and, he was a little and busy. If you're, gonna, <laughs> if you're gonna if you're gonna make the comparison to Star Wars, like both film critics did, mm-hmm. to me that's almost the the Star Wars connection. There is Zur is so confident in his abilities and in his powerhouse. Mm-hmm. It's that Peter Cushing, you know, evacuate in our moment of triumph. Surely you underestimate their chances. Moment. Yes. Yeah. Except yeah. for for Zura, it's the whole film. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he was he was basically the petulant douche. <laughs> he was, and I find it really interesting that first of all, when we see them, we we quickly see that the Kodan don't like him. Mm-hmm. You know, they they tolerate him yeah. barely, and that rapid that even that gets taken away as the conflict kind of grows. That mm-hmm. they're just like, nope, we're done with you. Yeah, and then he escapes. Yeah. And nothing happens with that. That's not, there's no closure on that story aspect. Yes, that is true. And I'm I'm not really sure what they intended with that. Maybe they did intend to make a, a sequel and then it just never happened because it didn't get enough people viewing it. I have no idea. I don't know what happened. But it does seem rife for a sequel. <laughs> yeah. Well, and there has been talk of a sequel a couple of times here or there. Yes, um, they did have someone say that they were going they were working on it in 2019 actually. Um, I actually wrote down a note about this because I, I found out about it. Gary Witta is the guy's name. He was the co-developer of Rogue One, and he did Book of Eli and After Earth, which were not great movies, but, you know. <laughs> so July of 2019, he actually tweeted something that he was working on a remake of the last, not a remake, a, a sequel of The Last Starfighter. And there was a lot of comment on it. But, you know, of course, then COVID hit. So who knows? <laughs> right, right. And and I, I almost say that this is one of those 80s movies that could be remade if done well, that there's you know, room for improvement. Yeah, I, I think there I think you're right about that. But at the same time, I'd, I'd rather see a sequel than I would see a remake. Like no, I, yeah, that, I think they've done what they were going to do with the first one. They've set the scene, you know, let's continue this as an, you know, if you want to make a franchise, go ahead, you know, <laughs> but you don't have to remake the first one. I don't think that's a necessary thing. Do you think they would follow the same track of somebody detected by uh, a video game as a pilot? Or do you think they would, like, I had heard rumors of, like, Alex's son or Lewis's turn. Mm-hmm. Which which venue would you rather they go with? Yeah, that's hard to say. I mean, you know, <laughs> they've done Excalibur. <laughs> I don't know that it necessarily... I mean, the cool thing about it being the video game was that he actually physically had to have the muscle memory of making those moves. And I right. think I think that was actually really clever. I thought so. That, when he that gets into the really cockpit, well. his hands already know what to exactly. do. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. So he had some training. He wasn't just thrust into the you know into space and suddenly said, "Here, here's a spaceship. Go ahead and kill things." <laughs> right. You know. I mean, he had some background in what this involved, <laughs> which is a good thing because when the the armada is attacked, when their base is attacked, the first thing they do is scramble their 
brand new recruits of starfighters to their ships. Now they mm-hmm. never get the chance to take off, but I was like, they never got any training. You know, they just, they just are like, okay, uh, we're be under attack. Get to your ships. Yeah. Well, uh, I gather that they all had to have been discovered in a similar way. Yeah, I mean, that would be, I, I, I don't know, because I didn't get the feeling that Centauri was behind all of them. No, I got no, the feeling he wouldn't he, have he been behind, behind them. He wouldn't have been behind them, but they were discovered to have the gift in some fashion. Okay, that's so a good I'm, point. So I'm assuming that in some, you know, before they got there, they had some kind of something that made them stand out. Otherwise, they wouldn't be there. Right. No, that's that's a good point. Yeah, because I was just, my first thought was, you're throwing a bunch of untrained pilots in to, to defend you. You're not <laughs> going to go. And of course, they never even get off the ground because there's, you know, uh, some some betrayal involved in that attack as well. Yes. Well, I guess the big octopus guy is not going to beat uh, Alex up. <laughs> <laughs> so. he, is, he is quoted, he is credited as, uh, I believe, tentacle alien. Tentacle alien. Okay, yes. <laughs> as opposed to nice alien in the yes. same scene. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I have to say that that one that one scene where he starts, you know, walking through the the hangar and all of that stuff. And then he gets that universal translator thing. That was so cool. <laughs> I do love that. And that the language changes so subtly. Mm-hmm. The you, you, you're not even really aware of it. It's just suddenly, oh, he brings up, oh, you're speaking English. And yes. I, 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 the transition there is really well done. Yeah, I thought they did a great job. And I, I always love it when that kind of thing happens. I know, for instance, Dr. Who, they credit that to a bubble that the TARDIS creates around anyone who's been inside and then goes outside. Right. <laughs> right. It's kind of cool. And there was some episode where they thought the TARDIS was dying and it, they didn't have the translation function. And yes. over the course of the episode, suddenly, suddenly the translation comes back and it's like, oh, the TARDIS is okay. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I just thought that was really cleverly done. I've always loved that kind of, you know, like, Babblefish, right? Like, <laughs> oh, you went there. <laughs> oh yes, of course, of course. That was like the precursor, <laughs> right? Yeah, no, I uh, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Mm-hmm. Love that idea of the babblefish, and yeah, and I, I, that's I, at the same time, I love that that scene plays out for as long as it does without the device, yes. because he has to you know, kind of make a a judgment on what they're telling him to do. And Mm -hmm. there is this awkwardness to it that is really kind of enjoyable to watch. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. And I I can understand how how awkward this is for him. Like, you can sort of figure out, where the heck am I? And one of the guys, like, when Centauri was getting paid and and almost didn't get paid, (laughs) I guess they assumed that, you know, Earth wasn't really supposed to be recruited from. (laughs) Right. Yeah, because it's it's not developed enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I I I think part of the reason I like the awkwardness is because it keeps Alex from ever getting to be arrogant. Mm-hmm. He's never cocky about his abilities. He's never cocky about the fact that he has some sort of gift or he was chosen. Yes, because he's he's in so over his head almost the entire movie. <laughs> yeah. that he that he doesn't get to become that type of character, and I really enjoy that. Yeah, although I have to say when I was watching the fight scenes and looking at what actually happened, it almost seemed like it was way too easy for him. 
Yeah. Well, when you have that mystical, uh, you know, death blossom device. Yes, that is that is definitely true. But but at the same time, like once he got the hang of it, he was pretty much just, you know, shooting them out of the sky left, right and center. And that was the end of that. Like, <laughs> right. So I don't know. Yeah, I found the line. It's that Earth is not a member and is not ready to even be approached until they mature. Yes. And all I could think was, yeah, we're not even close. This movie's... (laughs) Well, Centauri's been dropping by since Excalibur. So, you know, (laughs) he's been keeping tabs. (laughs) 2020, nope, they're still not mature enough. Oh, no, definitely not. I think we took a downturn. We were actually, uh, me and my friend here. It points to a cat. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, your friend's with a cat. Yes, he's, he's one of those uh, Dreamlands cats. So uh, he's more than a cat. Yes, and he is very lucky to consider myself his friend. What did he say? He said that I was lucky to consider myself his friend. Oh, okay. I, I do feel that way. Okay. Uh, I don't have too many friends. You really aren't that bright, are you? No. (laughs) Hey, it's me, Adam, the DM over at Microphones and Monsters. You just got done listening to a short clip from our show. Microphones and Monsters is a Cthulhu Mythos 5th edition actual play podcast. We ask you to join us every week, Monday and Friday. You can find us on your favorite podcatcher, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. You can find all of our links at microphonesandmonsters.com. One of the other really cool things uh, when those Zandazans show up or the first Zandazan, the assassin shows up, you know, he's a hitchhiker is what we see. Yes. Mm -hmm. And then he gets close to the video game and the video game kind of sucks his mask away, revealing Mm -hmm. the alien that's underneath. Yeah. And my, uh, I was watching this with my girlfriend and she made the comment awfully nice that Centauri put that feature into the game, don't you think? <laughs> and I was like, that's actually kind of a cool concept that mm-hmm. Centauri almost put in a defense mechanism so that when it does find a good starfighter, the enemy can't kill him. That is really interesting. I don't know that the enemy can't kill him, but at least the enemy well, looks like the enemy. <laughs> right. The enemy The enemy has a more challenging time trying to kill him, I guess, is what I should say. Yeah. <laughs> and actually, when, um, when one of them turned into the police officer there, I was like, oh, yeah, Terminator 2. <laughs> yeah, which doesn't come along for another what? <laughs> no, I know. But where do you think they got it from? Right. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Right. So that's, you know, I'm like, okay, so it's all derivative. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, you you are uh, making a really good case that this deserves a higher pedestal than most people have it on. Between (laughs) Back to the Future and Terminator 2, there are definitely some ideas here Mm -hmm. that have been... Uh, borrowed against. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, the idea of an alien that can take on a human form and just, you know, just by touching you or whatever. I mean, by killing you, obviously. But but uh, yeah, that I, I don't know how many times that was used previously. Probably a lot, but maybe not in the same way. Yeah. Not, not for the same reason. I mean, you know, you had an alien visiting Earth and then looking like humans so that you know, people didn't freak out. (laughs) 
but but I don't know that you actually had an assassin that could become a human in order to blend in and kill you easier. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> well, as I said, it does really use the hero's journey, you know, archetypal narrative mm-hmm. that, you know, he he has the call to action, which is, you know, he passes the 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 or he, he beats the game and, and gets the call to go. And he mm-hmm. even goes for a little while and then refuses it and is brought back. He has the mentor figure. You could make that out to be Centauri or Grieg, frankly. Um, you know, he, he has all his trials and, and, and that kind of stuff. It, it almost... And again, this is not a criticism I would have had at it of it back in 1984. Yeah. But it it almost is so simplistic in its depiction of the hero's journey. Does that bother you at all, or do you find that to be part of the movie's charm? Uh, a little of both, actually. Um, I don't mind the hero's journey being that obvious, and I think because of a lot of the other elements, it needed to be obvious because. There were so many there were so many other distractions, I think, that, you know, the video games and the aliens and all of that stuff that I think people needed that part to be simple. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but at the same time, I do think it could have been handled a little more subtly. not much but just a little you know and also by the time he decided to come back i was annoyed with the kid (laughs) really yeah yeah why are you going back you idiot (laughs) like what is the point of that do you mean that when he wanted to go back to the trailer park or when he decided to go back to the the fleet and be no 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 when when he wanted to go back to the trailer park when he was like whoa this is not for me Look, dude, you just spent the whole arc of this wanting to get out of this place. You trained. They took you somewhere where you're going to be like godlike. What the hell? <laughs> well, and it, and it even, you know, you were it, it delivers the message quite heavy handed at the beginning where Otis, the, uh, the the other maintenance guy, says, you know, when light, things are going to change and when mm-hmm. they do, you got to grab it with both hands and hold on tight. Yes. And it's like, here's your change. Yeah. Here's where you got to grab it with both. Hey, oh, you're going to go back home. Yeah, but it turns out that advice wasn't for Alex. It was for Maggie. <laughs> I think it was for both of them. Well, but it annoyed me that he didn't take it. <laughs> well, that's that's what I'm saying. That's that's yes. it was like heavy handed with this message. And it's like, yeah. OK, time to grab it. Oh, you're going back home. Really? That's yeah. your choice? Yeah. I was like, really? After all of this? Like, how awesome is this? And you're passing it up? Idiot. <laughs> And it's not even that he's passing it up for um, his family or for Maggie or for... There's no concrete thing that's bringing him back. It's just, oh, I'm uncomfortable. He's just, yeah, he's basically just scared, you know? And yeah, I can understand. This is weird. (laughs) I mean, can you imagine? (laughs) That's the whole point of all of this, right? Like you're putting yourself in his head. And trying to imagine what you would do in that situation. And I I don't know. Like, in the beginning, I was like, oh, yeah, he's like a classic, classic entrepreneur. He wants to, like, go do his own thing and get out of the trailer park and not go to the same college everyone went to. And, go, <laughs> you know, and then he's given the opportunity and he falls flat. And I'm like, <laughs> OK, so all of that was just talk then. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
well, you 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 mentioned her by name a couple of times there, so let's just briefly talk about Maggie, <laughs> yeah. um, the 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 wonderful girlfriend played by Catherine Mary Stewart. Mm-hmm. Um, she does not get a lot to do here, but I enjoy her. Uh, her I do enjoy her screen time. Mm-hmm. I never felt that she was like you know, the, the screaming girlfriend who doesn't do anything other than like scream. Like I didn't, I didn't get the, the, uh, the idea that she couldn't do anything. She didn't really get to do much, but at the same time. But it wasn't a feeling of helplessness. Yes. Yeah. She wasn't helpless. Exactly. And, and that's what I liked about her. She had her own personality. She was doing her own thing. I don't really know what that was, (laughs) but. (laughs) Well, I think, I think what I like about her is once Beta breaks down and tells her the truth, Mm -hmm. she's pretty quick to accept it and be like, okay, this is the new normal. Let's deal with this. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and they they could have, as you said, they could have gone the very helpless route, you know, the maiden in distress type thing. Mm -hmm. Uh, And they chose not to go that route. And that's I I, she doesn't get a lot to do in the movie, but I like her character regardless. Yes. And I agree totally there. And I was very grateful that they didn't make her, you know, this screaming um, girl in distress, you know, who just loses it and doesn't know what to do. No, I, I, I liked the idea that she was, she insisted on going into the truck with him, (laughs) you know, (laughs) I'm not leaving you to do this alone. And then his plan, you know, like she has to jump out of the truck, which, you know, freaks her out a little, but she does it, you know, and, and things happen. And I, I liked that she didn't just stay on the sidelines. She insisted on being involved. Yeah, I think I, she's she's not the strongest female character for that era, but she's certainly <laughs> no. not the worst. <laughs> yeah, no, she's yeah, exactly. It's it could have been a lot worse. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I was go- about to ask if there was anything else you wanted to talk about before we move on, but I just saw one more thing in my notes that I did want to bring up. Sure, um, which is you know this this is as you said this is very lighthearted type movie, mm-hmm. which I think is why it's a little shocking. You have two kind of more grotesque, gruesome moments in the movie that almost feel detached from the general aesthetic of the film. Yeah. And the first is when Beta is still cooking, I guess. He's yes. still transforming uh-huh. into that Alex appearance and they yep. pull back or he pulls back the blanket. And it, it's kind of gruesome compared to the feeling of the film. Yeah. Um, but but here's another uh, audio branding kind of thing. Uh, the music that's playing while you see that isn't scary music. Not really. True. So True. it doesn't freak you out as much as it could have. Do you know what I mean? It kind of keeps it sort of even keel a little bit. So, yeah, it's it's a little shocking, but it's not meant to be like, you know, Freddy Krueger shocking. <laughs> True. And, and then you have the second moment, which is kind of the uh, assassination of the master spy. Yes. Which the music there does add a it little totally bit of does. tension and stuff. <laughs> yes, it does. But at that point, you need some stakes, right? Yeah, true. Like, th- something needs to be dangerous. Otherwise, the whole movie is a waste of time. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's what they were missing. No, they they, they <laughs> yeah. do have that in this. Yeah. All right. What else do you want to chat about before we move into our ending games here? Hmm. Uh, Commander Krill. I actually okay. really liked that character. Uh, and that is the, uh, that's, that's the, the, that's the enemy, right? Yes. That's the bad that's, guy. That that's can't the bad guy who doesn't Zur. like Zur. Yes. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I, I really liked that little eyepiece that like went back and forth. It kind of seemed to me like his monocle. 
<laughs> right. It serves no purpose yeah, that we can discern, but yeah, it's a cool little cool. effect. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He has possibly the best line in the movie. Yes. <laughs> which is when the command ship is getting ready to go down. And yes. they say, what do we do? And his response is, we die. We die. Yes. Yeah. It was. But it gives... It gives that that race kind of a sense of honor that they yeah. didn't have. Yes. Although, you know, got to say, if you're going to ramming speed someone, don't do it en route to a moon. <laughs> <laughs> like that. I don't know why they thought that was intelligent, but OK. <laughs> well, it's a, a problem with the 80s science fiction movies where and, and my guess is limitations of, you know, models and stuff, although this is CG. Yes. And of course, they blew up way before they hit the moon. <laughs> Right, right. But they always seem to forget that there's a Z-axis in these old movies. It was, yeah, it was uh, quite something. But yeah, I just really liked his character. As a contrast to Zur the baby. (laughs) I don't know. See, he's the petulant child. Yes, he is the petulant (laughs) child. Yes, yeah. So I, yeah, I... I think that there is something to be said when you're watching a movie like this and you can actually cheer the bad guy, which... You know, Darth Vader, same deal, right? That's true. That's true. I I wouldn't put Krill on the same level as Darth Vader, but hmm. that's they, no, that's a really good point. Yeah, that, that, no. yeah. I mean, I did find myself, especially the more babyish Zer acted. I mm-hmm. did find myself kind of siding with Krill and his companions. Yes, that, like they want something in particular, and Zur wants something else. And for a while, I guess they're. Their goals were allied, but now it's time to cut our losses and get rid of the kid. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I, I gather that Zur had, um, he had inside information, and so that's why they kept him on side. Because clearly, I mean, he was the son of the ruler or whatever that guy was. I don't know what he right. was exactly. But, uh, you know, high statesman, I don't know. <laughs> um, but yeah, it was... Uh, it was a nice contrast, and I, in the short amount of time that you saw him, I thought it was a really interesting character. Yeah, no, I agree. All right, let's head into the end credits here. Uh, first up, we have The Algorithm Says. This is a list of movies that various algorithms say you will like mm-hmm. because you liked The Last Starfighter. So this is kind of a quick round reactions of these other movies, whether you like them. You've already mentioned a couple of them. I'll say that. <laughs> okay. uh, whether you like them, whether you don't like them, whether you don't see how the hell they're connected to The Last Starfighter, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. All right. So first up, Tron. I did see it. I did like it. I saw it later than Star The Last Starfighter, like a lot later. <laughs> yeah, you mentioned earlier about about watching it and the you know the effects not holding up. To me, the plot doesn't hold up as well. It mm-hmm. is incredibly boring as much as it has a, a, a place in my heart, uh, you know, of nostalgia. Yeah, it was the first it's a Star slow Trek movie. Paced movie. <laughs> Oh, God. (laughs) It was kind of like the first Star Trek movie. Yeah, they were trying for something big, and it just didn't quite take. (laughs) What is particularly interesting that you say that is Star Trek The Motion Picture was on this list, and I pulled it off. Yeah. (laughs) You know what? I watched it, and I I think I did enjoy it at the time. I would never watch it again in a million years. (laughs) (laughs) All right. uh, Another one that you mentioned, Enemy Mine. I loved that one. And I thought it was a really well done drama, actually. It didn't matter that it was in space. Yeah. All right. Crawl. Oh, my God. (laughs) 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 Okay, that makes me laugh so hard. I'm sorry. Um, I saw it. Uh, It's 
It's like cheesy soap opera, space opera. Yeah, I. It was a bad movie. <laughs> yeah, I don't think but, it lived up to anybody's expectations. No, but you know what? It was fun. I have to say, I did watch it, and I enjoyed it. And again, would never watch it again because it was like a hodgepodge of a mess. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, Flash Gordon. Oh, um, I guess it depends which one you're talking about. Are you talking the, about the one that Queen did the... Um... Yes. Oh, yeah. That was that was something awesome. <laughs> but, but I have to tell you, it was something awesome because of Queen. It was not something awesome because of the movie. <laughs> this has been a running joke with some some fans of the podcast from the, almost the very beginning. Mm-hmm. I still have not seen Flash Gordon. It has come up numerous times on this show. You know what? Uh, I don't care if you see it. Listen to the soundtrack. Oh, I've heard the soundtrack because I'm a huge Queen fan. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's fun just because the soundtrack makes it fun. <laughs> All right. Um, the Three Musketeers, the the Disney version. <laughs> the, yeah. I don't even know if I've seen that one. Uh, Char- is it Charlie Sheen? Yeah. It's Charlie Sheen and uh, Kiefer Sutherland. And Chris O'Donnell and, uh, and Oliver no. Platt. No? Okay. <laughs> and just no. And I, Tim, I, yeah. Tim Curry as the Cardinal Oh, as Cardinal Tim Richelieu. Curry. You know what? I have seen <laughs> bits and pieces of this movie, and I have never been able to sit through the whole thing. <laughs> yeah. I don't know how it's connected. Well, because uh, okay. Tim Curry eats up the scenery is all I can think. <laughs> well, there you go. There you go. Uh, the Rocketeer. That was a really good movie. I liked that a lot. Um, and yeah. I'm, that's all I'm going to say about it. I really liked it. <laughs> okay. Galaxy Quest. Oh, my God. Oh, I love that movie. <laughs> I don't think we could have Galaxy Quest without The Last Starfighter. I no. think those two movies are so connected in that almost meta level recognition of things. Yes. And I think they took it way farther and I love them for it. <laughs> oh yes. My it has one of my all-time yeah, my all-time awesome favorite movie. Sigourney Weaver line is uh, her shouting about how she has one stupid one job to do on this ship and it's stupid but I'm going to do it. <laughs> yes. Yes, exactly. Yeah. I mean it's such a, a Star Trek takeoff but but yeah, it was <laughs> I love that movie. Uh Flight of the Navigator. Oh, I'm trying to remember which one that was. That is the kid gets abducted by a spaceship and ends up back on Earth like 15 years later. He's the same age, but his parents and family have aged. Oh. Uh, Sarah Jessica Parker is in it. Mm-hmm. Paul Rubens, who played Pee Wee Herbin, does the voice of the s- computer, the, sh- the ship. Oh, you know if what? None of that's ringing a bell. You haven't seen it. Yeah, <laughs> I, I probably I don't think I've seen it. I've heard of it. Uh, but yeah. it, it just passed me by. I don't know how. I uh, Maybe I should go it's watch it. It's a good it. one. It's a good one. <laughs> yeah. I love it. All right. Cloak and Dagger. Oh, again, that's a really old one, isn't it? It's it's 80s. Yeah. Because it's, post, it's post-ET Henry Thomas. Yes. Okay. Um, I'm pretty sure that I did see it and it really didn't make a huge impression on me, but I did, <laughs> I did like it. I'm pretty sure I liked it, but it's... It's like, it's not sci-fi. It's not really fantasy. It's like, it's just, it's more, you know, kid spy stuff, isn't it? Yeah. For me, what made it stand out when I was a kid, and I haven't rewatched it since I was a kid, so who knows how actually it holds <laughs> yeah, up. Uh-huh. Um, for me, what the, the drawing of fact, factor was, was that I was a D&D kid. 
And there wasn't, role-playing games weren't really represented on screen Mm -hmm. all that frequently. So when you have a kid who's, that's his hobby. Yes. um, That that stood out to me. Yeah, yeah. And I would agree because I I don't know that when I was a kid, I was playing the game, (laughs) which is probably why why it didn't make that kind of an impression on me, but it probably would now. (laughs) Right. All right. Last one, The Wizard. The Wizard. Fred Savage, uh, his little brother, is kind of a video game um, phenomenon, and they end up running away to travel cross-country to go to this video game tournament. You know, it sounds vaguely familiar, but I don't know that it made a huge impression on me. (laughs) Interesting. Okay. Yeah. All right. We always end with a pop quiz for multiple choice questions based on the movie. Oh, boy. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) We'll see how you do. All right. Number one, according to screenwriter Jonathan Batool, the inspiration for the movie came from a combination of walking into a video game arcade at a time that he was reading what novel? Oh, my gosh. A, The Shining, B, Slaughterhouse-Five, C, Lord of the Rings, or D, The Once and Future King? The Once and Future King, I would have to say. Yep. And, yeah. and that's where the Excalibur, that's where Excalibur came come into from. play, yeah, too. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> All right, number two. Although his speaking scenes were cut from the film, a Star Trek The Next Generation actor appears in the film as one of the trailer park inhabitants. Which actor is it? A, LeVar Burton, B, Brent Spiner, C, Will Wheaton, or D, Patrick Stewart? Uh, is I think Patrick Stewart would be the only one that would be old enough, wouldn't he? I don't know. <laughs> no, it is not Patrick Stewart. It actually is Will Wheaton. Really? He plays. I didn't catch him. I caught during the end credits. He's like the last credit. Oh, it is was, he one of the kids? It, he's one of the kids. And oh. apparently he was supposed to have some lines, but he's one of Lewis's friends. And allegedly he's in two shots, uh, one of which is the spaceship taking off. And you see all the trailer yeah. the park inhabitants. Because I did see the kids, but I was like, who would be old enough to... <laughs> And I and now know. I want to reach out to Will Wheaton because, like, I've heard him talk about filming other movies. I've never heard him say anything about this and the disappointment he must have had at the time yeah. when his scenes didn't make it into the movie. Well, I mean, how old would he have been? Like, less than nine or, like, nine or something like that? Like, oh, <laughs> how least... how beat up can you get about that when you're nine? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> well, Stand By Me was 1986, so that's only two years later. Oh, Okay. So that, I don't know. Yeah. Okay. Well, <laughs> I, I don't know. That's that's really interesting trivia, and I never would have guessed. Yeah. <laughs> All right. The role of Zur was initially offered to someone with more of a comedy background. Who turned down the role of Zur? Petulant child that he is. <laughs> um, a, Robin Williams. B, Billy Crystal. C, Eddie Murphy. Or D, Dan Aykroyd. I'm going to say Billy Crystal because I kind of got the look of it, but I don't know. Yeah, that's why I threw him in. No, it's Robin Williams turned down the role of Zor. Yes. Oh, my goodness. That would have been a different part. (laughs) That would have been a very different movie. Yes, exactly. (laughs) I can't even imagine him doing that. Oh, my goodness. Okay. All right, last one. (laughs) Yeah. Part of the movie is made up of scenes filmed after primary filming was completed, after responses from test audiences proved something needed to be added. What was expanded upon from the initial cut of the film? A, bonding between Alex and Grieg. B, beta Alex's scenes on Earth. C, the Kodal interactions with Zur. Or D, more Robert Preston. Oh my goodness. I'm not even sure where to go with that one. Um, <laughs> uh, I'm going to say more Robert Preston because I would have loved that. But 
I would have loved it too, but no, it <laughs> they uh they went back and they filmed more scenes of Beta Alex on Earth. Did they? That, that it oh. wasn't as much, and in fact, the actor had already cut his hair for I guess another part oh, and yeah. had to wear a wig when he's Beta Alex. A lot of the scenes is him oh, wearing a wig. That's why his hair looked so weird. Okay. <laughs> yes. Okay. That's that's good to know. Wow. I only got one out of four. <laughs> the good news is the pop quiz is not high stakes and you learn something about a movie you like. That so is there you true. go. That is very thank you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Where can people find you? Uh, what would you like to promote? I am at uh, voiceoversandvocals.com. That's my voiceover uh, stuff, and you can hear demos and whatever you like over there. Uh, My podcast is called Audio Branding Podcast, and it is at (laughs) (laughs) www.audiobrandingpodcast.com. Pretty simple, yeah. There you go. Mm -hmm. Well, Jody, thank you so much. First of all, you've got a wonderful voice. It's just been wonderful to... (laughs) to chat with you for an hour to, well, to you. hear your voice. But thank you for giving me the opportunity to revisit just this classic movie from my youth. I, I forgot how much I liked it. And even if it is a little simplistic, it, it's still a lot of fun. It is a lot of fun. And I had a great time talking about it. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. Uh-huh. Thank you. So that does it for this week, but you can keep the conversation going throughout the week on social media. Share your thoughts about The Last Starfighter, or maybe tell me about a movie you'd like to come on the show and talk about. You can find me at Talon Hess on Twitter and Letterboxd, that's T-A-L-N-H-E-S-S, or the show is at Have Not Seen This on Twitter, on Facebook we're at Have Not Seen This Podcast, or you can email me at HaveNotSeenThis at gmail.com. And of course, don't forget to subscribe to the show so you don't miss any of our upcoming episodes, including next week's episode. In the cruel dog-eat-dog world of picture distribution... Disaster struck. Brad, I got a problem. What? Good luck. The film, it's an Italian. It's an Italian! We'll dub it. Yes? We'll dub it. We'll do the voices. And he met the mighty challenge like a hero of old. This podcast is available through all major podcast sources. Positive ratings and reviews are always welcome, as is just sharing the podcast with a friend and spreading the love. And if you like World of Warcraft or other Blizzard Entertainment games, be sure to check out my other podcast, Citizens of Azeroth, also available through all major podcast sources. Special thanks to Chris Talent for our wonderful theme song, and thanks to Jody for providing this week's conversation. Until next week, I'm Rafe Telsch, and this has been Have Not Seen This. Be kind to each other. <laughs>